0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au
1: Well hey, if you are just joining us for the first time uh, this week, or maybe you've been away for a couple of weeks, uh, I just want to remind you we are going through a series at the moment called The Upper Room, where we've been going through the final chapters of the gospel of John from chapter 13 working our way through to the end of chapter 17 and these are these words these this upper room series these messages really they focus in on a time where Jesus has been speaking with his disciples he's been telling them about what's about to happen and what that's going to mean for them and so this is happening Just as he is about to go to the cross, before he is betrayed uh, and arrested, spoiler alert, and he is speaking to prepare his disciples. And so we're in the second last week of this series, and uh, we'll be wrapping up next week. So if you have a Bible there, why don't you open up to John chapter 17? John chapter 17, starting in verse 6. And I'll be reading for us as Matt comes to preach. So John chapter 17, starting in verse 6. And if you don't have a Bible, just follow along. The words will be on the screen behind me as well. Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine." And glory has come to me through them. Verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified.
0: Thank you, James. Well, good morning, anchor. How are we? Good. Very good to see you all here this morning. We had a great uh, couple of weeks break up in Queensland. Um, Noosa is amazing. Loved being up at NUSA. We had a great time away. I want to thank the guys for preaching while we're on holidays. Um, We're going to dive straight into John chapter 17 this morning. I believe I have a very timely word for us as a church community. So why don't you join me as I lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. And we thank you that your word is true. We pray now as we sit under your word and hear you speak to us. God, I pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. I pray that you would form us into the image of Jesus. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit and help us to be the church that you call us to be, the type of church that Jesus prayed we would be in the context of a hostile world. God, I pray that you would do this now. Speak to us, I pray, And we ask this in Jesus' strong name and God's people said in a big loud voice, Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I am going to be speaking about the tension between the church and the world. The tension and the conflict we feel as God's people living in the time and the culture that we live in. And has that not played out in spectacular fashion This week in the news, for those of you who have been following the story or perhaps you you haven't, maybe you're not a a football fan and couldn't be bothered reading any news that comes out of Victoria, this week uh, Essendon newly appointed CEO Andrew Thorburn lasted a sum total of 30 hours in his new role. Uh, He has uh, previously a, a widely regarded, highly regarded CEO, CEO of NAB Bank for many years, and was appointed as CEO of the struggling Essendon Club to try and turn it around. And the day he was appointed, a number of journalists wrote a a bit of a beat-up article, if we're honest, about his association with his church, City on Hill, Melbourne, of which he is a chair. And uh, the club called him in for a meeting and they've agreed to part their ways. Uh, Now, irrespective of what you think of the decision and whether organisations ought to have the right to uh, discriminate, depending on the values they have and how Andrew personally has been treated and what the Premier has said about Pastor Guy Mason, all all of those sorts of things, regardless of that, um, and at the very least, we need to figure out how to have a conversation in Australia with people who have different opinions to us on things that are contentious, right? And it seems to me that our culture cannot do that right now. But what we have seen, across the media this week is the tension that we feel as Christians in the culture that we live in. How, how do we respond as God's people in a moment like this? What, what does it look like? How does the church act? What do we do? How do we respond? Well, there's a number of possible solutions that we could have to this moment, to this kind of tension and conflict that we feel with the world around us. And to be fair... This isn't the first time that the church has existed in a context where we are on the outside, on the margins, where our views are different. In fact, for the most part, the church always sits in contradiction to some of the values and views of every society. It's just different from culture to culture. Even today, if you were to travel to somewhere in Southeast Asia or the Middle East, the, the, the distinction, the difference between the church is very different to what it is for us in a secular Western context. But what are our options? Where do we go from here? Well, one option would be that we would simply just change the views that we have. We, we would change some of the positions and the values we have so that they line up with the culture around us and that tension and conflict we feel goes away. That, that could be one possible solution that we have. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel particularly comfortable about allowing the world and the culture to determine and shape my faith. That actually makes the culture around us our higher authority and not the Scriptures and not God. I don't know many Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians that simply want to just capitulate to the pressure of the culture around us and change our views, but that that could be one possible solution. Another solution could be that we withdraw from the culture around us. That we, um, you know, vary, there's varying degrees of that, right? You could choose to withdraw, and uh, in your workplace, just kind of fly under the radar with your faith, not make it super known, uh, all the way to some form of you know real extreme withdrawal that. We would see some of the churches in China and Southeast Asia and the Middle East, which are entirely underground because it is illegal to worship Jesus. It's illegal to convert to Christianity. And so the church has had to retreat underground. That could be one possible solution. And to be fair, as probably a viable solution in some contexts where your life is literally on the line for following Jesus. We could choose to withdraw. And... Like, if I'm honest with you, that feels like a fairly appealing solution right now. For those of you who have any sort of corporate career ambition, the things that have happened this week may cause you to think, well, well, hang on a sec, maybe, maybe I just need to dial back the openness of my faith at work and withdraw. So we could change. We could withdraw from the culture to a degree or entirely. The other solution that we could try and do is we could try and straddle ourselves between two worlds, right? We put one foot in the world, another foot in the church, and depending on the context we find ourselves, we just ch- sort of change our colors like a chameleon, right? We're, we're in the world and we, our colors change and we adopt to the world. And We're in the church, our colors change and we adopt to the church around us. And you know, I, I personally wouldn't feel particularly comfortable with that. I think it's fraught with compromise on all fronts, that type of an option. But that could be one option that you could do. Just change your spots depending on where you are. A fourth option may be to fight, right? A fourth option might be to put the fists up, to get the shield and sword out and to view the culture as our enemy and just seek to attack it as much as we can. But that could be a possible option. And I don't know about you, but I don't particularly know if that is ever the right solution to the world, to the culture around us. How do we respond? What is the church's posture and position in a culture that does not line up with our values, our beliefs, and where it is becoming increasingly costly to follow Jesus? And in Andrew's case, It cost him his job, his dream job, a job that he was suitably qualified for and a job that it seems he was pushed out of because of guilt by association. Well, I want to suggest to us this morning that here in John 17, we get a picture, a model of the vision that Jesus has for his church as he prays for the first disciples and this model that Jesus, that we see here in John 17, is actually built on the life of Jesus himself. Because Jesus refers to himself as the one who has been set apart by God for God and then sent into the world. Come back to John chapter 10, verse 36 with me as we, before we get into this. My iPad is about to die. I've got very little battery life left. John chapter 10, verse 36 says this. Jesus, speaking of himself in a confrontation with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, says, What about the one whom the Father, that is referring to himself, what about the me, whom the Father set apart, made holy, sanctified, as his very own and sent into the world? Jesus' pattern for his life is that the Father has set him apart, reserved him for his special purposes, made him holy and sent him into the world. And Jesus will use that very language, the same words, to pray for his apostles and ultimately his church. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that Jesus comes up to you and says, how can I pray for you? You got Any prayer points? What? What would you like me to pray for you? What, what would you say if Jesus asked to pray for you? I mean, you, you'd feel the pressure, right, of coming up with a good prayer point. It'd be like, well, I can't really ask him to pray for my scratchy throat and my essay that's due next week. You know, would feel. I think I feel like I would need something a little bit more spiritual to offer Jesus than, oh, you know, you couldn't be like, ah. Oh, Ah, it's just skip me tonight, guys. Go to the next person. You know, they're like, you would really feel the pressure of offering a good super spiritual prayer point when Jesus came and asked to pray for you. And the thing is, we don't have to second guess what Jesus would want to pray because he prays voluntarily for himself, for his apostles and for the church. And this is what he says. This is what Jesus prays for his small band of followers and The people who will believe in the message that they have. Two things. He prays for protection. And he prays for what I'm calling consecration. And I realize that's a very religious word. But he prays that they would be sanctified, set apart, consecrated. Those are the two things that Jesus prays for his church. So firstly, protection. Let's have a look at verse 9. I pray for them. That is the 11 disciples that are in the room with him. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Now, does that surprise you as Jesus starts praying that he doesn't pray for the world? I am not praying for the world. That's what, that's what he says. Now, does that mean that Jesus is unconcerned with the world? Like, does that... Undo, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Of course not. But Jesus here yeah, is praying really indirectly for the world because his, in his mind, the hope of the world is this small band of 11 disciples and the, the church that will be birthed at the preaching of their message. And so he prays for them because he is about to send them into the world. And bless the world through them, through the church. He prays for us because he chooses to be represented in the world by flawed, broken, imperfect people who are to model and demonstrate what the grace of God looks like. His prayer is for us. And his expectation is like we would actually be the ones who would pray for the world. And this is what he prays. I pray for them, not for the world. Verse ten: All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them, through the eleven. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, holy Father. Holy, I, I love those two words that Jesus prays here, because he is about to ask a caring, loving. Father to protect His children. And He is about to ask a caring, loving, holy Father to make His children holy, sanctified, consecrated, and set apart. Holy Father, protect them by the power of Your name, the name You gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe uh, by that name that You gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, that is Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And then skip down to verse 15 with me. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Jesus prays for protection. He prays for protection. Now that, that request there in verse 11, when it says, the NIV says, Uh, you know, protect them by the power of your name, literally reads, keep them, keep them by your name. This is not so much a prayer that God would protect them from persecution and trial and job loss and suffering and brokenness. Jesus has already warned them that those things are coming. Remember remember what he said all the way back in John chapter 15? Guys, the world is going to hate you because it hated me and no one is above their master. This isn't protection from trial and persecution. This is protection from drifting away from God on account of the persecution and trial and, and, and persecution. He's saying, protect them, God, because He knows what is about to happen. He knows that in a few hours, <coughs> excuse me, He knows that in, in a few hours, Roman soldiers will turn up with Jewish betrayers and falsely accuse him and try him. And he knows that his disciples will be scattered and that Peter will betray him. He knows what is about to happen. And his concern, almost pastoral concern for his friends, manifests in a prayer to his Father, Holy Father, protect them. Please protect them. He prays for protection from the world. And he prays for protection from the evil one. You see that in verse 15? The enemy, the devil. Because Satan loves nothing more than to see those who are following Jesus drift away. To see the church destroyed. To see the church un- disunited. You remember it was actually Satan who entered Judas's heart. And caused him to betray his friend and sell him out for a few pieces of silver. And Jesus says, God, would you, Father, Holy Father, would you protect them? Protect them from the enemy. Protect them from the world. These are two of the unholy trinity, right? The world, the devil and the flesh. Protect them, Father. There's a few things that I think we can take away from this prayer. The first is that Jesus knew it was going to be hard. Like he, he recognized that he is sending his disciples out like sheep amongst wolves. He recognizes that there is going to be trial and difficulty and persecution. He's warned them about it. He knows that it's going to be hard. And this prayer demonstrates his concern. He sees, he knows what it's like for his people. He knows that we don't belong here, that this world is not ours that we bow down to a different king. And that means that there is misalignment between us and the world. And the second thing I know is that, that, that I think this means is that Jesus promises comfort for those who are His. He does not lose His own. Judas is not an exception to the rule. That, that, was, that was fulfillment of prophecy. He keeps those who are His own. That ought to be a great Comfort That as we feel the pressure of following Jesus in this world, that Jesus takes time to pray. He has concern and He promises to protect. The second thing that Jesus prays for is consecration or sanctification. Have a look here at verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So the tone of this protection that Jesus prays for is not that God would remove us from a hostile environment. Not that God would take us out of the world and put us in a safe little holy bubble that we're protected from the pollution of the world around us. No, that's not what Jesus says. The world is hostile. Jesus is going away. And he is not going to take us with him yet. 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 Why? Well, because he has a purpose for us. He has a plan. And the purpose is hinted at in this prayer. And then quite explicitly, this pattern of those who have been sanctified and consecrated are sent. His prayer. God, would you set them apart? Would you reserve them for your special purposes in the world? And how will that sanctification, consecration occur. It's by the word of God, by the truth. Have a look there at verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. All that Jesus taught, all that the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the friend will come and remind the disciples of, that is what will set them apart and reserve them for God's purposes. The world will not be the thing that determines who God's people are. We do not take our cues from the world. But the world has enormous shaping power, does it not? The world wants to squish us into its mold. And Jesus says, no, it is not the world that will shape you and determine you and sanctify you. It is my word. We are a people who take our cues from the word of God and not the world around us. But you'll notice here that this sanctification is not for the sake of separation. It's not to take us out. But actually, like Jesus, it's to send us back in. To fulfill the very purpose and mission of God. You see, it's by the very presence of a people that's how Jesus has shown, has chosen to be represented in this world. By the presence of a people, not just a doctrinal statement, not just a form of ethical values, not just a document, right? but a people, a living, breathing, broken, messy people of grace, a people of holiness, a people of love, a people of generosity, a people of concern for the poor, a people of truth, a people of justice, a diverse people every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. A people with a purpose to shine the light of God in the world. Now, I realize that um, the events of this week have caused some of you to second guess that reality. And I don't blame you. Like, I I don't know what it feels like to be in a corporate environment. Like, all of my colleagues are Christians, (laughs) right? Right? Yeah, they're all the staff here at church. Right? My whole world is just surrounded by Christians. I don't want to pretend that I know what it's like to be you at university. I don't want to pretend that I know what it's like to be you in your workplace. Now, I've worked in the corporate world. I've worked in the secular workplace. I, I get it, but not for a number of years. And let, let's be real. Things have ramped up a bit in the last 10 years or so since I've been out of the work, corporate workforce. I've had people message me this week saying what about is there stuff online that could cost me my job? What about my career prospects? I'm messaging with the chairman of our board <laughs> this week saying how do you feel about being the chairman of a church, you know, watching what's played out in Melbourne? I recognize that for some of you the pressure is more significant than others. You know, the teachers at the Christian schools, you guys, are, you guys feel good, right, about now. Perhaps, maybe, maybe a Christian school is just Christian in label and not so much in culture. But I want to suggest to us that now is not the time for us to do any of the things that I listed at the start there. This is not a time for us to change. It's never the time for us to bow to the whims of the world and the culture around us. We do not worship Caesar. Worship Jesus. Now is not the time for us to withdraw and retreat yet, maybe. I don't know. Now is not the time for us to fight anything that, and and look, the straddling two worlds, hedging your bets, that has never worked. Now is the time for us to be the holy, set apart, distinctly different, and separate people with all of the cost that that comes with. For the good of the world that God has sent us to. A people of love. A people that would bring light to the darkness. A people that would bring truth where there are lies. That is what our call is. That is what Jesus prays as he stands on the precipice of the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. As he departs from the world, this is Jesus' vision for His people, for His church. This is what He prays for. You can't get much more closer to the heart of Jesus than the things that He prays for. We have very few prayers in the Bible that have rolled off the lips of Jesus, right? The Lord's Prayer, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, maybe a few other prayers that He prays out loud for the sake of those around Him, like when He calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Very few prayers that are recorded. Most of Jesus' prayers are Or a private conversation with his father. This one reflects his heart for his people, his church, for us, for you, if you follow him. And so, my encouragement, church, this morning is not to be rattled by the moments of this week, not to be fearful about the moments of this week. Not to worry about what is on the horizon. Because I promise you, there is one institution that has lasted for the last 2,000 years that will never go away. And that is the Church of Jesus Christ. Every other organization, business, institution, government will fall. But the Church of Jesus will prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus stands victorious as King, ruling and reigning he calls us to be faithful to Him and to trust Him. And at times we have to be careful and shrewd and winsome, of course. But this is not a time for us to bow the knee. So church, I want to encourage you to stand firm. To stand firm at university. To stand firm in your workplace. To be the holy, set apart, distinct and different people of God. As we close and as, as the band comes up, I want to... I want to spend a moment to pray for us, to pray for you guys, recognizing that the pressures that you face are so different from what the partial team here at church face. We recognize that your workplace is not our workplace, where it feels very comfortable, safe and loving. It really is. I mean, I I like working with our team. But, But I recognize that you guys are on the front line. And at times I'm jealous wish I was on the front line more often. But I want to pray a prayer of courage over us. I love that song that we sang this morning. It doesn't matter what the storms that come our way. When our lives are built on the foundation of Jesus, that's where we stand. He is our firm foundation. So I want to invite you to stand church as we transition to a time of worship and Lord's Supper. I want to pray over you that God would strengthen us as His people to be a holy, distinct, different type of people to the world around us. He would strengthen our resolve in the context of a culture that does not approve or like the things we do and say. I ask that God would fill us by His Spirit to do that task. So please join me as I pray. Father God, God, I thank you that you are in complete control. That you have a purpose and a plan. And God, what a staggering privilege it is to be called by you, to be adopted into your family, to be made your sons and daughters. That you would love us. God, we thank you for that privilege. And I pray now that you would help this church, your people, to be a people of conviction and truth and holiness and distinctiveness and love and light. Give us the courage we need, Father, not to retreat in this moment, but for the sake of this world to shine your light. Strengthen us, fill us with your spirit, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' strong name, in God's people said. Amen.